sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and right now
Good morning, Destiny Church. We love y'all. We thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Let's just go and talk to our Father. God, we love you. God, we worship you. God, we lift your name on high. We exalt your name above every other name, God. You are worthy to be praised. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your spirit, God. Thank you for the love that you pour out and you lavish upon us, Jesus. you that we are whole in you. Thank you that we are healed in you. Thank you that we are fully loved. We are fully seen. We are fully accepted, God. Thank you for your mercy this morning. Thank you for your compassion, God. May your name be exalted. your name, God. Holy is your name, God. Holy is your name. God, fill this place with your presence. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for entertainment. We are here for you. May we encounter your presence, God, in every aspect of this service. May we not look at our circumstances or the circumstances of the world, God. May we find ourselves hidden in the shadow of your wings. We are safe there, God. Thank you that you surround us with a shield, God. Thank you that we are hidden. have your way in this place this morning, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May your kingdom come, God. May your will be done, Jesus, on earth as it is in heaven. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit. This time belongs to you. This time belongs to you, God. We pour out our hearts in worship. We pour out our hearts in praise, God. We fix our eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, on our faithful Father. We fix our eyes on you. You are worthy of all of our praise, and we will not hold back. We will give you it all. For being a trustworthy and a faithful God. Thank you for being a good, good Father. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We pour out our love upon you, God. As best as we know how, God, we pour out our love and our worship on you. every other name, Jesus. 
your name above every other name, Jesus. Above every fear, above every sickness, the name of Jesus will be exalted. Hallelujah. Above every burden, above every attack of the enemy, the name of Jesus will be exalted. Thank you that we can run to you and be safe. We are held in your arms. The faithful Father, we are held in your arms. We choose to run to you. We choose to surrender our hearts. We choose to surrender our minds. We choose to surrender our words, God. Somebody just lift your hands. Hallelujah. And say, Lord, you're holy. Hallelujah. The whole earth sings your praise. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So if you have breath in your body, hallelujah. Let's just lift up a sound. Come on. Let's lift up a sound. Hallelujah. Let's lift up a sound of worship in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Father, we say we pour out our best to you all today. Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together with us. We will stand and rejoice. As one people, lift one voice. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of praise. We will shout and proclaim to the greatness of your name. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of praise. Help me say you are. You are holy. You are holy. Hallelujah to 
there. You're worthy of praise. Now I'm reading from my past. We, your people, we will dance. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of praise. Help me say, you are Shall rise to 
beauty. Help me say holy. right there and give them a worship hallelujah hallelujah come on give them a worship right there hallelujah and father we say thy kingdom come and thy will be done hallelujah on earth as it is in heaven hallelujah
fire of my altar never burn out. The fire of my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. Let the fire of my altar never burn out. May the fire of my altar never burn out. May the fire of my altar never burn out. Make me a house of
Make me a house of prayer. Say day and night. Day and night and night and day. Day and night. Day and night and night and day. Day and night. Day and night and night and day. Make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. One more time. Day and night. Day and night and night and day. Day and night and night and day. Day and night and night and day. Make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. Hallelujah. 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 I sing praises to your name. Praise it to your name. from Atlanta, Sister Anthony, hallelujah.
Hallelujah is the highest form of praise. We, we lift him up. We exalt him. So we praise him. That's why it's so important when we come into church, we spend time and just praise him. Like, like when you love on your father. You, you, when you love on your father and when someone loves on you, you know the feeling you get when someone loves on you. Our father feels the same way as we, we exalt him and we praise him and we thank him. And you do all that before you even ask for anything. You spend time just praising him and thanking him for everything he's done in your life. Then you just repent, ask for forgiveness. And then you can start asking for, for God to show up in your life and to do different things. But the most important part at the end is just yielding to him saying God have your way it's not my way it's your way it's always you God have your way in everything we do so Father this morning we exalt you we lift you high Father we just love you Lord and we thank you that we can come together and worship you we thank you that, that Lord you give us the, the ability to come together as a family and unite as churches and come together to worship you we thank you. We thank you for Groundwood Glory. We thank you with Brother Ken. Father, we thank you 
for his love. We, we thank you that we can do this, God. Father, we thank you for the breath in our lungs, Lord. Oh, Father, you're so good. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you for using us, Lord. So come holy. Search our heart this morning, God. Search our heart. Father God, let, let, let us work out our own, Father God, but show us, teach us, Father God, how to love you, how to be like you. Come home, have your way. Have your way in this place, have your way in every home watching online, every car watching online, everybody at work watching online. Lord, we ask you to have your way. Have your way. Father, we yield to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on. Can y'all get excited this morning? Come on. Can you get excited we serve a God that loves us that much? Come on. Can we lift up a shout of praise in the house? <laughs> Come on, holy. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. We love you. Ah, oh, so good. Thank you all for coming out this morning. We're fired up about what God wants to do in the house. Do me a favor. Find somebody you don't know. Give them a knuckle bump, a pretend hug, whatever you want to do. Love on somebody. We'll be right back.
Come on, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on, y'all talking a lot, so that's got to be good. Good, it's nice to have everybody in the house. Thank you for joining us online. Welcome to Destiny. I am DJ, along with my wife, Jules. We get the honor to pastor here at Destiny Church. And man, we love our church. Come on, you guys love Destiny? Come on, let's lift it up. Come on. All right, how about better? You love Jesus? Come on, that's even better. There we go. That's what it's all about. So if you're, you're watching online, do me a favor, share this link, get it out to everybody, let them know that God has a word for them this morning. So it doesn't matter when you're watching it, God has a word for you and everything we do. So that's so important. If you're new here, if this is your first time, first time in a long time, do me a favor and fill out uh, the Connect card. It's a, it should be a... a should be a connect card for you either in the seat back in front of you or in the back. Uh, raise your hand if you're new. We'll get you one. That's so important you let us know you came because if not, we can't reach out to you. We can't let you, uh, we can't talk to you about the church. We can't pray for you. None of those things. So make sure you take time and fill out the connect card. And I'm going to zoom through a whole bunch of, of real quick announcements. So we are open all week long here at Destiny. So Monday night prayer, get out here. It's important. We pray together as a family. Be here at 6. Tuesday at the table, 6 p.m., be here. We're in a phenomenal uh, series right now where, where we're, we're walking through how to study the Bible better. So how, how to dig into the context of the Bible and how when you just read something, what it means. So we're teaching people how to do that. Uh, Daniel's been doing a phenomenal job with that. We look forward to seeing uh, what God produces out of that. There's fruit that comes out of that, and we can't wait to see uh, what that turns into. It's phenomenal. Get here uh, 6 o'clock on Tuesdays. Wednesday night, drop your kids off for Destiny Children's Ministry. Drop your students off for Destiny Student Ministry. Get them out here at 6 o'clock. Go do something. All right, young adults, 6 o'clock on Friday, 18 to 28. Be here. Uh, on Friday. Uh, we have that with Nicole and Brandon leading that. Um, one really important thing that I love to talk about is baptism. That's next week. Okay, so remember we bumped it before. Come on. It is time for baptisms, and it doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. Uh, if you want to get baptized again, next week is your date. Sign up. Do me a favor. Go online. Sign up. Let us know. We already have a couple people signed up, so it's going to be great. Get out here. Get baptized, uh, and let's keep moving forward with that and see what God wants to do with you after that. Uh, here's, here's the next big thing we want to talk about is our XO conference. Come on. Uh, I am Yeah, if you got, come on. That's what I'm talking about. I love relationships. I love marriage. And when we get to come together and talk about those things with the XO conference, it's going to be powerful. Do not miss out on this. It's the 12th and 13th. It is $60 a couple. This is going to be great. Look, we have single people that sign up for this. Why? Because they want to come out and see what they need to be looking for. Okay, it's so important when you can start having a plan uh, in your marriage, a plan in your relationships. So sign up for the XO Conference. Don't miss out on it. The spots are filling up fast. Next Sunday is the last day. If you have not signed up by next Sunday, it's full. 
Okay, we have released it out to uh, other churches. We've put it out there to other people. So if you're watching online, go on our website right now. You can sign up for it. If you have our app, go on our app and sign up for it. Uh, we also have free child care that day. So if you have kids, drop them off. Just let us know. We need to know how many so we know what to be prepared for. Um, last week, I got to share a great announcement online, unfortunately. I wasn't here in person, uh, but I do want to let you know how exciting it is that we are under contract to purchase this building. Come on, y'all. Man, it's, it's almost... Hmm. I love it when God gives you a vision, and then he provides for it. And he says, if you just trust and keep going, we've been doing this for five years. We've been chasing this, and now it's finally here. Now it's time. So with that being said, we do, um, I believe there's still an opportunity to give. And, and, and when I mean give, it's the, the, the down payment. Obviously, uh, they didn't accept our offer, which is usually not how it works in, in, a, in a negotiation, right? Uh, and they still came back with, with a really decent offer. Can I be honest and transparent with you? I had to deal with pride because we have given them over a half a million dollars in the times we've been in this building. And I really thought that they should have given us the building cheaper. That's what I thought. So when they said no, I immediately was like, all right, Lord, if that's it, then I'm gonna find another place and we're gonna keep moving. But I had to deal with that and I had to surrender to God with that. And, and now when you see what they're doing and you see what this property is worth, what a blessing, okay? They're being a blessing to us because they could easily turn around and do so much more with the property. So, so it is an honor to be able to, to soon call this home. But what that means is we're trying to raise about $20,000. February 14th, we're doing a heart for the house. And what that means, it's time to give because we got to make sure. Look, we have money in the, we have money, okay? But the money that, that this is going to come out of because of the higher price, you have a higher down payment. So it would come out of a general budgeting fund, which is not, never good to pull from the general fund to take care of a specific gift. So we have already raised money, but right now we're coming back on the 14th. It's Valentine's Day, you know, heart for the house. So put your heart in this house. Let's come out and let's give. Let's pray about this. I need you to pray about it. This is above and beyond. This is you saying, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want me to pour into something that's going to last forever, to put a footprint forever in your kingdom? That's what this is. It's an opportunity to give. And I think as we come together as a church, people watching online, if you like what you, you've been watching online, look, it, it takes us all to come together and we can do this and be prepared on the 14th. So I look forward to that and I'm excited to celebrate that. And I'm just, I'm ready to get this thing over with. Hopefully within 45 days, we will be proud owners of this this building and, and this home and, and we'll never leave. So I'm excited. Come on. Um, you know, with that being said, you know, there's always, you know, things that happen in life. And, and I love our church and I love how we come together as a church. And we are just a church full of and, and we love to love. I mean, that's probably the coolest part about our church is that we love people so much and we're always there for people and we're always taking care of people. And we've gone through some loss in the last couple of weeks and our church has been able to be there to support families. And, and we have another one. And so I'm just letting you know that uh, Brother Joey Woodall, uh, he's been part of our services. He's been part of uh, our Tuesday at the table. He's been part of prayer nights. Um, just a, a man of God, just phenomenal man of God. And he passed away. Um, last week. So uh, we are going to have his memorial, his funeral at Magnolia Funeral Home on Tuesday um, down, in, down in Montgomery. So we're going to be there. Uh, viewing hours are four to five and then five to six is the, the actual funeral. So if you want to join us and celebrate his life, um, that's what we're going to be doing on Tuesday. So once again, I just it, what we do as a church goes beyond words. Um, we have showed up, we have poured out um, 
even to his family and to all the families in our church. So when we go through loss, it's tough. But what makes it easier is when you have a family of believers, a family outside your family that comes in and just loves on you. And man, we do that great. I'm so proud. Um, I'm proud. All right. Oh, man, this is not supposed to be an emotional message today. Come on, let's pray and let's just see what God wants to do with this. So, Father, we love you. Oh, Lord, we thank you. And, Father, right now I ask you to touch the families, Lord, that are dealing with loss. Father, I ask you to touch the Woodall family. Father, I ask you to touch the McKay family, Lord. I ask you to be with them all, God. We just, Father, we just love you, Lord. Father, I ask you right now to speak to my heart. Lord, let it be all of you today, none of me, and let it land on the ears and the hearts of those that need to hear it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, and we all said, amen. Look, I'm fired up. I don't, you know, I missed last week, um, so I just got to sit around and, and, and worship at home with my wife and pray and, and scream at the walls and pray to the walls, and just, man, I was having a blast. We were sh- just just hollering and having a good time. I don't know how y'all don't like online. Online, I'm telling you, I love it. If you can sit in front of your, your TV and just surrender and just say, man, it's our time. So it was good. So I know what you're going through at home, and we love you for that. Um, but, you know, uh, Kevin's not here today, and, and if you um, wonder why, it's because he told me I was going to have to preach a three-hour sermon this week, so I fired him. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Like, don't mess with me. No. <laughs> But he, he, did, he did good last year. They are on vacation, y'all, so pray for them for safe travels. They're in uh, Disney World with their kids. They are having a great time, and he deserves it. He's doing a phenomenal job. Him and Crystal are doing a phenomenal job uh, running with what God's given them. So happy to have them as a team, and, man, it's so good. So I appreciate you, Kevin and Crystal. I know you're watching online. We love you guys. Um, so we are in a series called One, and this is all about unity. This is all about maturity in the body of Christ. So when we take that into into account, we mean that just doesn't mean with God. It means with our family. It means with church. It means with other churches. It's all about unity. What you saw this morning was another church coming in, and and this is unity. It's us coming together, worshiping together, spending time together. That's part of unity, and it just lines up with everything we're talking about. We picked this up. We started several weeks ago uh, in this unity, and I don't know how long we're going to be in it, but I know we started talking about making God number one in our life, and that's that vertical connection. It's me and God. If you can't connect to you and God, it's hard to do the whole horizontal connection of you reaching out to anybody right you've got to be good with him first you've got to have a relationship with him and it's not your spouse it's you and him and your spouse should be you and him and and it's individuals you've got to seek God first and then you can seek everything else all the other relationships um so 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 we started this a long time ago and um we can't do anything without him and what I love is that Several weeks ago, God said, hey, you're going to do a next-gen series right in the middle of it. And I was like, that's weird, Lord, but okay, whatever you want to do. Not knowing that my wife and I were going to get exposed to somebody who had COVID. <laughs> God knew, and that's why he had already prepared it. It was so awesome. I'm like, hey, this is good. So what we did is we just took the precautions. We were fine. We tested negative, but they say you should wait seven to ten days uh, to get tested. So so that's what we did, and we just wanted to honor the, the system. It's there for a reason. It's there to help us, and we did that, and we tested negative, so we're back, all right? So I ask everybody, we're back, and everybody else is safe because we're doing the right thing, okay? If you get exposed, just, hey, you don't have to be here on Sunday. Be safe. Take care of other people. It's just like any other virus out there. If you have the flu, don't come to church. Okay, we don't want it. If you got the stomach bug, don't come to church. 
We don't want it, okay? Same thing, okay? Just think of other people and put other people first. But, man, what a phenomenal service last week. Man, didn't he do a phenomenal job? Come on. I think he's in the back. He's not out here, but, man, um, I just love what God's doing in his life. And, and, you know, that's part of our vision. If you didn't know that, two years ago we sat down. Um, when I took over, we sat down and we created a vision, and it was given to us by God, and we wrote that down. And part of that vision was we're reaching the lost and making disciples. We're, we're reaching the lost and making disciples our priorities, and no generation is overlooked or underutilized. God gave that to us two years ago, not knowing that he was going to put a word in a 14-year-old teenager to come up here and share with everybody. And the, the feedback I got from that, people calling in and people talking to me saying, man, it hit home and it's changing their lives. And look, that's what this is all about. This is who we are, okay? God will use anybody. If you let him use you, he will use you. And we will not overlook that, okay? And I believe God just lines things up. So um, I love what he did. I appreciate everybody. Um, and I'm telling you, it's just a, it was an honor to sit there on TV and just watch all that play out because who knew that we were going to be home other than him. So it was really cool. Um, but so last time we were in this series, we talked about conflict. Before that, we talked about communication. And it was all in a relationship. Okay, so we're saying in a relationship, we have to deal with conflict and communication. Um, and if you remember last time we talked about conflict, we talked about the sandpaper, Right how we apply the sandpaper, the finer grit versus the coarse grit, just depends on how you talk to somebody. We talked about how conflict isn't the problem, it's the unresolved conflict is the problem, right? It's not the conflict, it's the unresolved conflict that's the problem. Where the turtle, we talked about the turtle in the hailstorm, you guys catching back up now, crocodile and the owl, right? There you go, the crocodile, there we go. Um, and we said count your spouse more significant than yourself. And we talked, that's how we get through conflict. That's, so we talked about that. How do we resolve that? How do we walk through that? Um, so good. So that's what we, we finished up with last time we talked. So our go-to verse with this, because we are in a relationship thing, because we're talking about unity, is Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, so God has called you to do something. God has made you with a purpose in this land. God has put you here for a reason. He's called you. And it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. So he wants us to live a worthy life. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace so it's all about unity and unity of the spirit why because what we do with our lives matters to god what we do in our relationships matter to god what we do in our marriages matter to god what we do with our finances man it matters to god and we have to do better we have to do better. And I think when we start looking at things, uh, it starts peeling back the, the peel a little bit. You start going, man, I can get better in that area. Man, I can get better in this area. You know, I just, I've been on cruise control for a while, not knowing what to do, but you're opening my eyes. That's the point of, of, of up here. That's the point of God giving us the word and letting us talk through this is because he wants to open our eyes. Because everybody thinks marriage is easy. Marriage is work. W-O-R-K. It's spelled W-O-R-K. It's work no matter what. So we started this series. We talked about 
three of the biggest problems in marriage, which was that lead to disagreements and arguments was sex, money, communication, and conflict. Okay. The biggest problems dealt with communication and conflict. So we talked about communication, right? And then we talked about conflict, which is so awesome that we got to talk about those first because today we're going to talk about finances in your marriage. And so what I did is I talked about communication and conflict so you have a way out because whatever we talk about today could cause some communication issues in your marriage, could cause conflict in your marriage. So guess what? I set you up for success. We already prepared you how you're going to drive home, <laughs> hopefully, not walk home, right? So, so we're going to be able to, I, I coached you in this so that you guys are ready uh, to talk about finances in your marriage, okay? And that's, that's what's so important. So money, money and money fights are the number one cause of divorce in America. Number one cause of divorce, money. It's ridiculous. That's what it takes. It, it, you know, and that's why money, you know, it just takes money to mess up an entire marriage. And that's why it takes work, okay? Because money is a necessity. We need money. So money's always going to be part of your life. But money is also what causes most of the issues in our life, right? It's actually the number one issue we counsel on when we get marriage. Now, marriage counseling is our number one issue, but when you break marriage counseling down, money falls right in there. You're like, oh, wow, look, money just floats to the top when we start talking about issues in your marriage. See, the enemy wants our marriages, and he wants to use money as a barrier to that. That's what he wants. He wants to use money as a barrier to that. But here, money's not the problem. It's the fact that we don't know... Um, we don't know how to manage money. So that becomes the problem in our marriage. In fact, 80% of Americans are caught in the chains of debt. Eight out of 10 people. Look around you, eight out of 10 people are strapped with debt. And what debt causes, it causes stress, it causes fear, it causes worry. And when you add that into a relationship, it just leads to problems. So it's important we talk about this. Why? Well, you know, the Bible talks about 2,500 verses on money and possessions. So it's kind of important when you really think about it. If it's all throughout the Bible, then why don't we discuss it more at church? Um, so I, I'm, so I, I think it's a big issue because, you know, I want to I go back. It's really not that um, we don't have money. We have plenty of money. Everybody in here, you have plenty of money problem is is you're looking at money in america if you look at the money you have and compare it to the world we are rich every person in here is rich but you get so caught up with all the niceties and all these ways of living that you can't live without that you think it's so tough and that you don't have any money it's not it you're just judging it based on what you see with your neighbor, what you see on TV, what you see on all these, these shows. And you go, well, if they can walk around with all the bling and if they can have the big houses, that's what we should all have because that's what's going to bring happiness. What they don't show you is sit down with them and pull out their budget and pull out their bank account and really tell you what's going on. It looks good on the outside, though. Kind of like Ginger's talk on brushing your teeth and, and how that applies to the Bible, right? Everything looks good on the outside, but all the decays on the backside where nobody can see it. People drive around in their fancy cars and live in their big houses, and, man, they look great walking out. And then they go home at the end of the night, and they sit there and wonder, man, I hope I don't lose my job because if I lose my job, I'm done. 
Okay, that's why money's important. Money's so important. We're speaking from experience. Okay, you, it's, I'm coming to you not just as a pastor. I'm coming to you with somebody who has experience in finances and not just knowing finances. Like, I know finances. I've learned finances the hard way. Okay, I didn't go to school and study finances. I learned it the hard way. My wife and I learned it the hard way. Okay, so in other words, if you want to get information about something, if, if you wanted information about working out at the gym, you wouldn't come to me. I don't look like the guy that works out at the gym. You go to somebody that looks like James. James is the guy that works out at the gym. So if I walked out and said, let me coach you on how to do planks, and, and, and you're going to be like, I don't know, man. Because you obviously you might have the knowledge, the head knowledge, but you obviously don't know how to apply it to your life. So, so what I'm doing is I'm coming at you not from somebody with head knowledge about finances. I'm coming to you with somebody who's been through the pain. Just like working out. If you go to the gym, it's going to hurt. You don't look like James without going through pain, without going through a time of recovery, without going through stuff, okay? To get bigger in muscles, it takes pain. You tear them. You, it hurts. And it takes dedication. Well, I'm coming to you as somebody who has gone through financial pain. I have gone through financial struggles. I've been torn apart, and we've built it back up. So it's important that you talk to people about the right thing. You have the right people telling you about the right thing. So, um, so really, I'm just going to share with you for a little bit about the train wreck that we had in our marriage. And I call it a train wreck because it all started back when we were kids. I think everybody, when you come into a, 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 a marriage, there can be a train wreck in anything you deal with, right? But for me, I grew up with nothing. Like, we were poor, poor. Like, you know, we got the boxed food and the free cheese and the, and the you know, we got the food stamps. That's how it was. We had, my parents both worked, um, but we had five kids and we lived in a farming town, and there's not many good jobs. So you got what you could get. So I grew up working. I grew up at the age of 12. I started working uh, at a Christmas tree farm, and I would go up, and I would drive my, ride my bike all the way out to the Christmas tree farm, and I would get there at like 7 in the morning. They would feed me breakfast. I would stay there all day, and by 6 o'clock at night, I rode my bike home. I got my $5 for the day, and I got two meals. And I saved that so that I could buy school clothes. That's how I got my school clothes. But I was proud of that because I got to get my jeans and I got to get my T-shirts and I got to get my cool Reeboks um, because I realized that if I had all those cool things, then people would like me. That's what I thought. So that was my mentality when it came to finances growing up. And when I turned 15 and got a real job, so I was a busboy because we moved, I got to be a busboy at a restaurant. When I turned 15, my dad said, that's awesome. You're old enough to have a job now for real, so you're old enough to pay rent. So at 15, I started paying rent in my house because I was part of the family. So I learned real quick that, that I needed to lie about how much money I made. I'm telling you, I, I needed, to, I needed to, to, to spend all my money as soon as I could. So I would buy all the nice clothes and I, and I would blow my entire, I would get paid and blow my entire paycheck within a day because I worked at a restaurant that was in a mall. I'd walk out with my paycheck, go cash it and walk right over and buy whatever I wanted. I would spend $80 on a shirt. Back then it was, you know, I mean, your minimum wage was four twenty-five, four fifty dollars an hour. I would spend my entire 
paycheck on one shirt. Why? Because it was a popular shirt and, it, and then I could look like I had something. And that's what I took into my life, my marriage. That's how I walked in that. So I developed a mindset that, that you had to have money to be somebody. That was the mindset that that got me was that I needed money to be somebody. So when I joined the military, man, it was so great. Like I couldn't believe I was getting a paycheck. I mean, it was like every two weeks I was getting like $300. I was like, what do you do with $300 every couple of weeks? So I, I, I was showing, I was, I was buying stuff for people because I like to show people how much I love them by how much money I could spend on them. So I remember, you know, spending money on my family and uh, spending money on my, my, my siblings telling you it was uh it was really tough but that's what i did that's how i spent money okay now jules so that's how i grew up jules grew up on the other side of town (laughs) right so so she grew up with a really nice home and a really nice community her dad was a vice president of a corporation they had she grew up having anything she really wanted right but but she had no clue how she got it So it sounds like she had a blessed life, but really if you looked at her family, you'd realize that her dad had no clue how much money was coming into the house. Her mom spent all the money before they could even get it into the house, and they lived on credit. (laughs) So she didn't know how she got stuff. She just knew that she had it when she wanted it. (laughs) Our two trains collided. (laughs) And that's where the problems start. Because unlike everybody else in this room that went through counseling before they got married and they knew all the financial great things before they got married, we didn't. Like, like we just collided and said, how do we do this? Like we both had jobs. We weren't making a whole bunch. And then we added a child to it, <laughs> which was awesome. Within four years, we were done. Like we didn't have money to live we were living on debt. We had already been through like four different cars. Um, the military sent me overseas, and she came down to stay overseas. She had to give up her job. And when she came, she couldn't get a job overseas at the base. So we're just looking at money going, we don't have any. So how do you deal with this when you don't have money? She decided to go back to the States and get a job. So that's great when you're trying to spend time with your wife, which at that time in my life, I really didn't care. But, but she went back and came back to the States to get a job with my daughter so that we could pay our bills. That's great for a marriage. But at least she was smart enough to seek out consumer credit counseling, which was just an organization. And she said, we're so far in debt, we can't pay anything, we need help. And they came in and they looked at all our debt and they, they worked out all these arrangements with our credit card companies and everything and they built us a plan and then we couldn't use any credit. We couldn't do anything for I don't even know how many years, four years. I don't even remember now because this, this was back in the early 90s. So um, they said you can't use anything so we cut up, you know, we couldn't use credit cards, we couldn't use anything. But we got into this plan and we got out of debt. And then we, we moved to... Uh, to Japan they sent us overseas again the good part about Japan is you got cola cost of living allowance so now we're like yes that was like an extra thousand dollars a month I'm like come on what are we going to do when we have all this money we spent it that's what we did we spent everything we got spent everything we got and after four years of being in Okinawa we came home with 
money in the account. We had nothing. So we, after eight years overseas, you come back to the United States, it shocks you. Like we came back once while we were in Okinawa and it cost us $5,000 just in tickets to fly back. When we came back, they moved us into Charleston, South Carolina, and we got back and we didn't know what to do. We had enough money. We had money to where I could go buy some cars. So we bought some used cars. Um, so we paid off some cars and just bought some cars. And I'm thinking we're doing good. And then all of a sudden we just got right into the mainstream and we bought a house and then the, the cars that were paid off weren't good enough. So all of a sudden we went in and we bought new cars. So we both had new cars. And then we bought a boat. And then we said, you know what? Let's fix up our house that we bought. That was a 1973 green carpet and red walls. But we can't do that with cash. Let's go out and get a loan for that. And then, hey, let's get a credit card for $16,000. And let's do all the repairs on a credit card. Because when we do sell the house, we're going to invest everything into our home. And then the stock market crashed and I yanked everything I had in my retirement account out before I lost it all. And I said, don't worry, we'll invest it in the home. So I kept fixing our house and man, we built a beautiful home. <laughs> beautiful. I mean, we just did a phenomenal job. We did a really good job. And I built a home that my wife was like, I love this home. And then, and so here we are both working really good jobs, making really good money. And we're spending everything that came in was going out on bills. We weren't in church. We didn't even consider giving. That wasn't even an option because we had already built this wall around us. We couldn't even let God into it. And then we got orders. (laughs) And she lost her job. And we went to sell the house, which I thought I was going to get all the money back. (laughs) Couldn't sell the house. So we had to have a mortgage there, $1,500 in rent here. I think we were paying $1,700, $1,800 in mortgage there. One income, two brand new cars, a new, a new boat, <laughs> credit cards through the roof because I was like, just put everything on the credit cards and we'll be good. So, so this is where the crash came because when you don't have any money to pay your bills, something happens. You got to give up something. So we did what they call a short sale on the house. If you've never done a short sale on a house, what that means is they come in and sell your house for a whole lot less than what you owe on it. So our house, which was valued at one point at 300 and some odd thousand dollars, sold for $136,000. And the bank accepted it and then they come back at you and they have a right to do whatever they want to do. So they came back at us and they sued us twice (laughs) so we got sued the only good part about this is during this time we found God this was in this whole process in the times when our life was just strung out and everything was crazy we found our way into a church and we started learning about who God was and then and that's when everybody said you need to give and we were like Like, give out of what? Like, can I give with my credit card every weekend? Is that good? Because that's we were paying off a credit card. We were paying the, the $80 on a credit card, going in like three days later going, okay, so we now have $30 that we can spend because $50 went to the interest, and then we would spend that $30. That's what we were living in. And, and we were just praying to God. We are like, God, show us a way. Show us what we have to do. Well, anyway, um, we had to file bankruptcy because when you get sued and you lose everything, what do you do? So we've been 
all the way down the road. And then we've come all the way up the road. <laughs> and through that entire process, God was with us. Through that entire process, we tithed. Through that in process, we, we gave. And we allowed God to fill us up. We allowed God to, to steer us and guide us. We learned how to budget. <laughs> we, we, we learned how to manage money. So I didn't learn through a book where somebody says, don't let this happen. Look, we were at a point in our life where we could go in the cushions and dig for change to go get bread or bologna or whatever it was. Then I've had times in my life where I've had $25,000, $30,000 in multiple checks thrown on my refrigerator that I just didn't cash yet. We've been on both sides. We've been through it all. So why do I tell you all this? Because <laughs> you need to understand that I know what I'm talking about. And I didn't get it through knowledge. I got it through God. When you surrender to him and you allow him to have control, he will make everything work out the way he wants it. It takes work. This, is, this wasn't like an overnight thing. Uh, but we've gained so much knowledge and so much information. And here's the thing. God will use all that. That's all I ever prayed. God, if I'm going through this, please, at some point in my life, will you allow me to use it to help somebody? Not ever knowing that we were going to come to destiny. Not ever knowing that this was going to be our home. Not ever knowing I was going to walk into a church that was $4 million in debt. That we now owe $0. <laughs> come on. <laughs> but it was the knowledge that you gain sometimes when you go through the processes that you have to go through. That you can then apply to things in life. And God says, thank you for listening. Thank you for being faithful. Let me show you what it means to be faithful. And let me show you how you can use that to help people and help a church and help get things done the right way. So I just got on a tangent, but I wanted to share that because I need you to understand that I kind of know what I'm talking about. You can go, you know, I don't have any degrees in finance. I taught budgeting for four years at high level for, for individuals trying to run businesses and trying to run military budgeting I taught that for four years and I taught some of the highest leaders in that which was great but it's not the same it's not the same as when you surrender it to God and you just give it all to God so we've been there so God's going to use us he's going to use my wife and I to help you uh, and what we noticed is that prior to our marriage and this is where we're going to start getting into this it's important that prior to marriage we didn't talk about this stuff like we didn't sit down and go, hey, how much money do you make? And how much money do I make? And what do you know about balancing a checkbook? And what do you know about, you know, debt? And what do you, I, we didn't know anything. Like my family didn't own a credit card. I didn't even know what a credit card was. Her family lived on credit cards, right? When we got married, we inherited a student loan that she didn't even know she had because her parents took it out for her and a car payment. <laughs> it was like, oh, you took our daughter here. And it was like, ah, we didn't talk about that. We didn't know. Okay, but this is what happens. So a lot of things tie into relationships when it comes to finances, and some of that comes from how you were raised as a kid. Like, what were you taught as a kid? You know, when we went through school back then, they would teach you how to budget a checkbook. I don't know if they do that anymore. But I do know that, that my kids know how to. <laughs> my kids understand how to spend and how to save and how to give. Why? Because we taught them. So it was never too late for us to shift. They got to enjoy all the spoils, but now they get to experience 
the goodness that comes with it. Okay, so because of that, because of everything that we don't talk about before we get married, right, and it stresses people out. You come together, it stresses everybody out. So, so why does money, why does money cause problems in marriage? <laughs> well, there you go. Nobody's taught the right way. You've never been through it, so you don't know, and you never communicated about it. So you're completely separate. So here's my, my, my kick to you. This is for everybody. If you're single and dating, dating is for what? To find somebody to marry. We don't date just for fun. We date because we think you are a possible spouse that I can marry. That's why you date. And when you're dating, you start asking questions like, and start watching people's habits when you date. Are you living beyond your means? Is this person living off credit cards or are they showing up all the time with nice outfits and nice and look there is nothing wrong with having a huge house and cars and all that stuff god wants you to enjoy the world if you're doing it the right way that's the key there's nothing wrong with that i will never tell somebody you can't have all the stuff god wants you to enjoy it but you got to do it the right way okay so if you're single you need to pay attention if you're engaged once you get engaged it all changes because we do premarital counseling all the time. You know the one thing we tell people? Good, let's sit down on the table. I want to see your credit score. I want to see your checkbook. I want to see everything about you. How much debt are you bringing into the marriage? Because if you don't know that about the person you're getting married to, you're already losing. Because once you get married, it's done. It's a sealed deal. Like, you can't get out of it. Like, you already said I do. For better, for worse. For sickness, for health. For richer, for poor. And if you didn't know, chances are you'd be poorer. Because if they're not talking about it, they're hiding something. So, so that, that's where you hit that poorer state in your life. And you go, wow, this is crazy. So the problem in marriages is all kinds of things. We have different goals that we don't talk about. We make bad decisions as individuals. We have different values. We have different priorities. We have different habits, right? Different upbringings. We're selfish. We're greedy. As individuals, we're greedy. We care about money. That's why when people come together, they have such an issue. We spend more than we make. There's a lack of trust. There's a lack of communication, a lack of knowledge. No humility to go get help when you don't know. <laughs> Anything else? Am I capturing everybody's? I'm trying to get it all into one. These seem to be all the problems that we deal with. Think about it. Everybody wants a new cell phone now every year. And they go, oh, look, it's only 30-some dollars a month. If you hadn't looked, they bumped it from 24 payments now to 30 payments to keep that 30-some dollars a month. And if you really look at the total price, it's really $1,200 you're paying for a phone. But you don't look at the price. You just look at the monthly payment. Can I fit it in my monthly payment? We're going to talk about all this. He said I was going to talk three hours, so I'm not going to let Kevin down. I'm just messing with you. Just messing with you. Problem is, is we don't want accountability. We want nobody in our life, even our spouses, to tell us what we can and cannot do. We think we, or we think we made the money, therefore we earned the money, and therefore I can spend the money. And what you totally forget is, it's not your money. It's God's money. He's the one that gave it to you. He's the one that gave you the ability to earn it. He's the one that got you the job. You forget that. You forget that. I'm so thankful he lets me use 90%. <laughs> that is so good. I'm good with that. I'll take that. Problem is we all want to be like the Joneses. We covet what other people have. 
we look at what everybody else, is, everybody else has and we think we need to have it. Oh, they got the new video game. Oh, they got this. They got the new car. Oh, they've got a third car. I want a third car. Nobody covets what I have. Because <laughs> we have four cars. And they're all paid off. That's right. And my Tahoe is anointed. With a quart of oil every month. I fill it up. Just to keep it running. But you know what? It's got 350,000 miles on it. And I don't owe anything on it. And people will go, but you don't understand. And what if it breaks down? I fix it for less than two months of what you pay on, you know, for a, for a new car. But nobody wants to live that way. We deserve, because we're, we're, we're humans and, and we live in America, we deserve to have the best. The nice, when, as soon as it loses the smell, you're like, oh, this is old. So we, we covet what other people have. First Timothy, I'll get some scripture now. First Timothy, before I get on a tangent here. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10, it says, but godly, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. We need to be content with what we have. We, we, we've never been taught that. Okay, so, so for we budget or we brought nothing to the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, a, is the root of all kinds of evil. Remember that. The love of money. It's not money. Money's a necessity in what we do. It's the love of money. Too many people love money. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we need to learn to be content in what we have, that it's sufficient. I used to love that as a kid when they put food on my plate, and it was just a small portion with five kids, and they say, that's sufficient. You eat what you have, and there were no seconds. But it was sufficient. I lived. I'm here. (laughs) So I made it. Well, some things in life, we just have to say it's sufficient. Like, it's just sufficient. I've, I've got a car. It's sufficient. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Now, I do see some really nice cars out there. I saw someone, like, massaging things. And I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. But I, I live 20 minutes from the church. <laughs> it's really the only place we go. <laughs> I don't need to get a massage on the way into the church. So Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We covet and we're never content. We want what everybody else has. And we don't realize what everybody else went through to get it or what they're going through just to have it. So we got to be better. This is why I'm saying we have to talk about this stuff. Why do we talk about it in church? Because you need to talk about it in church. Because God talks about it in his word. Why? Because he wants to protect you. He's a good, good father. He says, just listen to me. I will give you a way. I'm going to talk to you about a way. And if you follow the way I'm telling you, I will protect you. But we don't want to listen to his way. We want to follow God for everything. (laughs) We're like, oh yeah, apply that to my marriage. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to pray. Good, I pray and I got it. Worship, got it. Money, woo. I think I got this one, Lord. I don't need your help. (laughs) I'll figure this one out on my own. Good luck. 
He's already wrote the book. So when we look at marriage and we look at how everybody's different, we're all different. We talked about that before. And the problem is, is we were built different. We know that. We can't walk into that saying, I'm just different. What I mean is that there are spenders and savers. So in your marriage, you might have a spender and a saver. That's not an excuse to say, I'm just going to spend because I'm a spender. It's to say, I understand I'm a spender, so I need help. I need help in what we do. I need help with a process. I need to understand that, that, that I can't spend the way I want to spend. It's not an excuse to spend. It's a reason to ask for help. And if you're both spenders, there could be a problem. Unless you've gone through it. Now, Jules and I, we, she was the saver. I was the spender for most of our life. And then after everything happened, guess what we did? We learned how to save together. And now we both like to spend together. See, it's not individuals. So we, we spend together. So we both determine if we want to bless somebody, we talk about it and we bless somebody. I just don't bless somebody and come home and be like, hey, sorry. <laughs> Forgot to tell you about that. <laughs> no, we talk about it. So, so everything is, is put that way. So we're both kind of, I say we're both spenders, but we're both savers too. Because we have a goal, we have a plan, and we know where we want to be. So we all have issues in finances. So under explaining all that, now let's get into the stuff. How do you get out of this? Because everybody's like, we know this, man. I didn't have to come to church today to figure it out that I don't know what I'm doing with my finances. So you came to church to go, okay, great. How God, how's God going to help me out of this thing? So let me help you a little bit. One, you got to have unity in your finances. Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So in marriage, you become one flesh. In your finances, you become one flesh. You don't walk into a marriage and say, well, you make this much and you make this much, so you take care of half, I take care of half. That will not work. It's not good for a marriage. Cannot be that way. You are one we're talking about one we're talking about oneness in your marriage so there's one pot of money and everything goes into it you sacrifice your individualism when you got married you no longer have the right to say it's mine mine is not part of marriage everything is ours that's how marriage works and what you'll notice is that as you come together and start talking about things you make really good financial decisions because God brought you together he knew what he was doing. So if you trust him and you let him lead you in your finances, it works. Because here's what Mark 3.25 says. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So if you can't even come into one with your finances, your house will not stand. That's what the word says. So you're going to be dealing with issues. You're going to be dealing with, with strife. You're going to be dealing with arguing and, and, and fighting and that leads to depression and stress and fear and anxiety lack of security so you have to have one account one plan one set of goals and dreams that you all agree upon right you have to have the same priorities in your marriage and that takes discipline and it takes faith and it doesn't happen overnight but it can start overnight see that's the cool part it can start overnight. All you sit, do is sit down and talk about it and say, we're in this together, so what are our goals? 
Like, what, what are our plans? What, what, what do we see in our next year? What do we see in our next five years? What do we see in our next 20 years? See, it's not a business. People run marriage like a business, like we're just partners. But in a business, you can fire people. In a marriage, you can't. They're yours. You bought them. <laughs> Everything that came with them. <laughs> Every bit of it. Every bit of debt. Every bit of finance, every bit of everything, you bought it. Problem is, is that married people have become a glorified roommate. That's what happened throughout time. And that happens because um, they don't follow the biblical way of marriage anyway. <laughs> so what they do is they, they like each other, they move in. Well, we got to see if we can live together. So what do you do when you try to see if you can live together? You're obviously not paying their bills. <laughs> so you're like, I got my bills. You got your bills. I'll pay half. And then you do that for a time period. So you train yourself that when you live with somebody, everything is half. So then when you get married, you get frustrated when somebody says, well, it's no longer your half. I don't know about you, but they've never kicked you out of half the house. They never turned off half the electricity. They never canceled just some of the bathrooms. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all. So it's not half, it's everything. You're in it together and you need to start having oneness in your finances and in your marriage. My parents were the worst at this. And I hope you're watching. <laughs> Please. It wouldn't matter now they're divorced after 35 years because of marriage, because of marriage and finances. They always had a separate account for each person. My dad would take my mom to dinner and pay half the bill. <laughs> he was cheap, 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 cheap. He said, nope, here's my half, here's your half. My dad has had his own business. My mom had her own business. My mom would spend her money on all the grandkids and taking care of things, and my dad would, would, would split the rent and split the electricity. He would look at every bill divided down the middle, and then he would spend his money on whatever he wanted and then complain that my mom spends too much money on people. That's how they lived. And after 35 years, they gave up. And they walked away. And my mom still has the same problem. She's remarried. And she married into the same thing. Because they did it wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The way Jules' parents did it. They did it wrong too. You can't have one person that runs all the finances and makes all the decisions. It's a joint effort. You come together and you talk about things. Even when we pay bills, I love the fact that, you know, I think half of our marriage, you paid the bills, and I think I paid the bills the other half. If you divide it all up, I want everybody to see what it's like. <laughs> it's all coming out of the same account, but you need to lay eyes on target. You need to know where money's being spent. Because when you don't want that, when you don't want that unity in your finances, what are you hiding? Because you're, you're buying something you're not supposed to have. You're doing something you don't want anybody to see. That's the only reason why you don't want to bring money into it at the table. One, you don't trust the person. So why would you marry somebody you don't trust? You trust them with everything else, but you're not going to trust them with your money. You're going to try to hold tight to that. Okay? So, so we, need, we need to get on, on, on board with, with keeping everything together, our bills, our house, our kids, our money. It's all together. Once you marry them, they're yours. <laughs> All of them things. <laughs> it's no longer your kids. 
doesn't matter if it's your fourth marriage. It's our kids. Everything is together. When there's oneness, what that brings is accountability and it brings guardrails. Because now you have somebody checking on you. You have somebody asking questions once a month when you sit down to look at the finances from last month. And you go, I don't understand this. We do it nonchalantly now. Be like, hey, there's money that was spent out of your account. Do you know what that is? Not that it matters, but I want to make sure nobody's got into our account. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've never seen this before. And if you ever, if you ever buy gas and slap out, watch it. It's called the boy store. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. I'm like, baby, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me. It's just what it rings up as on your tab. We found that one out. That was almost a battle for a little bit. I was like, I'm telling you, it's gas, baby. It's a gas station. Unbelievable. All right, so if you're going to have one in your finances, you have to have a game plan. You have to have the ability to plan. That's the goal. So that's what we're going to talk about. How do you do it? One, you got to have oneness. You got to communicate. You got to talk about it. You got to agree that you will come together and discuss finances and say, this is it. The second thing you need to do is develop a plan. Luke 14, 28 through 30 says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You must have a plan. Okay, you must have a plan. So there has to be a financial plan for your marriage. And that starts with a budget. I know that word nobody wants to talk about. A budget. As soon as you mention budget, people go, I don't know anything about finances. I don't know numbers. I don't want to talk about a budget. A budget has nothing to do with numbers. A budget is a mutual agreement between you and your spouse on how much money you're going to spend. There's your budget. And you talk about everything in your budget. You sit down with a piece of paper and you go, all right, let's do this. Let's do a zero balance budget. Let's sit down and say, okay, how much money comes into our house every single month? After, after your taxes, what comes in? And then you start planning that money out and you spend every bit of it. So that's where people mess up. If you don't spend every bit of the money you have, you'll spend it on something that you didn't even plan for. So what I mean by spend it is you categorize it. You put it in the right department and you track it. And when you do this, nobody has complete control. It doesn't matter how much money they make or they don't make. My wife does not bring income into the house, but she has complete access to me and our finances and we make decisions together. I don't get to tell her just because I bring money into the home that this is what we're gonna do. Doesn't work that way. We sit down and we talk about it. That's called oneness in your marriage. You can't hold it over people. Well, you don't make as much as me, so you don't get to say as much as me. Oh, yes, you do. When we got married, we became one. Period. So when you do that, you bring all that money to the table. First thing you do is you look and you say, where are we going to give money to? We talk about giving. We talk about our house. How much money do we need for our house? We talk about utilities. Then we talk about debt, like a car. Like how much do we have to pay on a car, right? Savings. Savings includes putting away money, and it also includes insurance. Spending, like, like spending like we should have a budget that we can each spend without asking the other person. You know, I still don't spend money without asking my wife. 
I won't buy a pair of shoes. I won't buy a pizza. <laughs> I'm like, hey, uh, I'm going I'm to buy this. You good with it? And it's not that I'm asking for permission. I know how much money's in the account. I'm not going to bounce anything. <laughs> but I just do it because I want to find out. Like, are you good? Because if you're not good, I'm not buying it. Now, when you, when you set up spending accounts, it's great. Because you might say, well, you get $100 a month. You get $100 a month. I don't have to ask to spend that 100 I can save it. I can spend it all at once. I can take somebody to lunch. I don't have, it's already spent in my budget. It was for me to spend. I don't have to ask anymore. And that's so important that you build that into your budget. That saves you from, from all that stuff. But here's the thing. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, period. So you need to plan it out. Think of the parable of the talents. So this is where uh, uh, a man has you know, tons of stuff, and, and he tells his three servants he's getting ready to leave on a journey, and he tells them, hey, I'm going to give you money to manage. So a talent, a talent is like $1,000. And he says, so here's the thing. Uh, he gives them to their ability, which what that means is that each one of them had a different ability on how well they handled money. So the one that, that, that could handle four, he gave him four talents, like $4,000. And he says, I'm leaving and I'll be back. One, he handed him two talents and said, I'm going to give you 2,000 and I'll be back. The other one, he handed him one. So their abilities were different. He was a pretty smart guy. He's like, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy's uh, kind of in the middle. This guy, woof, he's a loose cannon. So he comes back and the guy he gave four to raised four more. So he managed the money well to the one with two he came back and they all had four so they doubled two they managed the money well to the one that he gave one guess what he did he came back he gave him one he goes i buried it i hid it so he didn't manage it well he might still have one but he did not manage the money the way he was supposed to manage it he didn't use it right so guess what he did you don't use it right he took it and he gave it to the people that could use it right so he no longer had any he took it from him because he didn't understand how to manage his money. And that was my version of it. You won't find that in the, it's in there, just my version. See, God wants us to be wise with the money that he gives us. The Lord giveth and he taketh away. <laughs> he says, I'm giving you money. It's my money. I gave you. I want you to manage it well. I want you to increase. I want you to, to enjoy everything. But if you're throwing it away, if you're wasting it, as a good father, he's not going to give you more. If you handed your kid a $20 bill and they walked outside and then walked right back in and said, I just lost that $20. Can I have another $20? No, you're stupid. <laughs> Ain't happening. Money lesson. You lost it all. You don't get any more. But what the master told the guys that did good, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been a, you've been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So God's telling you, if you're good with the little that I give you, I will give you more. But if you can't handle the little bit, he's not going to give you anything else to handle. He doesn't trust you. So you got to be good with the little. That's why it applies to everybody. It doesn't matter how much money you make. You have to manage it well. If, you know, we got a lot of people that will get money and then pray to God to give them more money. 
And guess what? They do the same thing with it. They waste it the same way. We have people that have gambling habits and they, oh, pray I get financial freedom. Well, how about we pray you don't go to the casino? <laughs> you want me to help you or help you? I, I mean, people so worried about money and they're really quick to give it away. So we got to be smart. We got to manage our money well. So the second thing you have to do, so you've got to build this, build this budget. second thing you have to do when you build a budget, and this is part of it, is you've got to get out of debt. And that's the tough one. That's where people go, oh, I hate that word, get out of debt. Yes. Can I tell you there's no scripture that talks positively about debt? <laughs> None. So if you're in debt, that's not biblical. <laughs> it's not healthy. You're like, but someone always told me, well, look, if, if you have the capability to manage things, there are little fine things you can do with, with credit cards and, and stuff. And you're like, but I've got to have credit and I've got to have a good credit score. Really? I watched my 22-year-old son who's never had a bank account, ne- never had anything in his life, go out and buy a house and a car within like the same month. <laughs> I'm like, uh... So it wasn't a credit issue. He never had a credit card before. He never had a loan. He never had anything. So do you really need credit to do anything? It's funny. I can tell you that in my money clip, credit card-wise, nothing. I have a couple pieces of plastic in there. I have a church debit card. I have my debit card. I have another account's debit card. I have my concealed carry permit (laughs) it's kind of important I have a driver's license my military ID I can travel I can go anywhere I want to go I can pay for hotels without a credit card I can do it all without a credit card so we got to be careful so you got to pay off your debt so when I talk about debt it's anything from mortgage student loans you know how many people (laughs) they will pay $120,000 to go to school to get a job that pays them $35,000 a year. Question that in your mind. And I'm not saying you just go get a job to, uh, to just for money. I'm not saying that. You should be doing what God wants you to do in your life. But there are so many people that couldn't afford college that they went and got all these loans, and now they're, trying, they're making bare minimum. <laughs> and with the bare minimum, they're trying to pay all their loans. So... And they're going to be paying on them for 15, 20 years. That's debt that cannot be forgiven. That doesn't even go away with bankruptcy. You can't touch it. It's yours for good. Okay, so you got to be very careful about what you're willing to spend money on and what you're going in debt for. Some people just go to school to go to school. They're like, I guess that's the next step. I'll just go to college. What are you doing? I really don't know. Ask my daughter. <laughs> she did four years. At a very expensive college to graduate and go, I can't use that on anything. <laughs> I guess I'll go back and get a master's degree. So she could get something that she could have done <laughs> in four years with a bachelor's degree. So speaking out of, we tried. <laughs> kids don't listen all the time. So this is not a lesson on making your kids obey. <laughs> it's just coach them, <laughs> guide them, and see what they do. But credit cards, come on, you got to cut them up. Your debt is bondage. 
It's called MasterCard for a reason. It is your master. And it will steal everything you have if you let it. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. So if you borrow money from somebody, you are now their slave. You owe them. You have to pay them. And it becomes a burden. (laughs) Some of y'all think you get paid on Fridays, but actually what happens is your money goes to the bank on Friday and then the bank just distributes it out to everybody so you've never touched it because you already spent it before it even gets there. So you didn't get paid. The bank got paid. The bank got paid. And why? Well, it's because we live above your means. You try to live like everybody else. You want the American dream and you think you need it. (laughs) You know, stupid discussion. But we found out the other day that the TV in my house is a 50-inch, you're going to love this, plasma (laughs) that we've had for eight or nine, ten years. And we got it free. My brother comes over. He's like, what are you doing with this TV? I'm like, what do you mean? It's TV. He's got one of those like 85-inch, you know, doesn't even fit in his room. <laughs> he's like, it's 120 hertz. It does all this. Stuff. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, your, your thing looks like the old Atari games. <laughs> like, whatever. If I spend so much time on TV that I need an 85-inch TV, and it's not that I can't go buy another TV, y'all. So please, I'm not taking a love offering. <laughs> not asking for pity. I can go buy a TV go buy a tv but we actually talked about it we're like hey should we get a tv they're like i don't know i can see on this one (laughs) it works (laughs) i was like what's the sense of buying another tv if it works but once you have nice stuff you just want more nice stuff that's how it works you know you get so used to having something nice you just can never not have anything that's not perfect what i do is i just train myself to never have anything nice (laughs) That's it. And I'm like, man, this is wonderful. And people are like, are you serious? Like, I feel bad when people get in my car sometimes. I'm like, they're just tears. <laughs> You're not going to fall through. We're good. <laughs> if you want to drive, we can save money for me. <laughs> I don't care. So it doesn't matter. But we got we to be smart. Think about this. Average car payment in America. Say now it might even be more. Say 500 If I just take the average, $500 a month is your average car payment. And what people are doing is they're saying, no matter what, and how how many people have a car payment? Let's just do that. Okay, there you go. How many people's car payment is like $500 a month? Okay, there you go. So here's what you have is you have a car payment that's $500 a month. And what happens is we get so used to having a car payment, we say, I'm always going to have a car payment. So if I'm always going to have a car payment, why don't I just have a nicer car? And every year they trade it in or two years they trade it in and they get these cars and they always have a new car and it becomes a thing. We did it. I know what I'm talking about. We just got to the point where I was like, hey, if I can get enough on this and we don't have to go backwards too much, we'll just get a new car and I feel good because I'm driving a new car. Do you know that if you took that money, that $500, right? You took that $500, you put it in a growth stock mutual fund so, so if you paid for a car from, from the age of 30 to the age of 70, just think about this. So if you're in that habit of saying, I'll never get out of debt, I'm always going to have a car payment. So if you pay a car payment from the age of 30 to 70, you know what you have at the end of that? A car payment with about two years left on it because you're getting a new car all the time and you're still paying $500 a month. 
I'm, I'm, re I'm ready to make this really good for you. If you take that $500, you put it in a growth stock mutual fund, after that many years, after those 40 years, you will have $5.6 million in the bank. And then you can buy any car you want. Any car you want. We don't think that way. We don't allow that to be part of our discussion. We just go, I got to have new, I got to have new, I got to have new, I got to want, I, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to have more. But he wants you to have more to where you can enjoy it and be joyful with it. All right, we're getting there, almost done. Next thing, save and invest. People are like, okay, great. So I got to get out of debt and save. Yes, save. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wives store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp, down, gulp theirs down. So the wise save, fools eat it all up. So if you're eating up everything you own every month, you're a fool. I didn't say it. <laughs> Bible said it. You're a fool. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're a fool. And you're like, no, you don't understand my bills. I understand your bills. I also know you have to make a choice to get out of them. You have choices to make in your life that can make this easier. So what do you save for? Emergency fund. You have to save for an emergency fund. What's that look like? I don't know for you. I say start with $1,000. So you put money in a savings account until you have $1,000. You're like, rainy day, what do you mean? I don't know, car breaks down. Oh, but I have a warranty, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Rental car when the car breaks down. <laughs> you know, maybe something happens to the house. Maybe something happens to a child and you need to help. Maybe something happens to your pet and you got to pay for a vet bill. Whatever happens. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe coronavirus comes and you can't go to work. So you put money away and you say, I'm going to put a thousand or guess what I tell people, three months of your three months of your, your average bills. So take your average bill per month, times it by three, and you save until it's in your bank account. So if something happened to you for three months, you're covered. You're taken care of. So you have to save. You have to also you have to invest in retirement. I call it pay yourself first. Invest in retirement. Don't be the guy sitting around going, I can't wait for Social Security. You're dependent upon a government that's trillions of dollars in debt to manage your finances for your retirement. I don't know. Once again, James, me, he's your, he's your personal trainer, not this guy. <laughs> I don't want them handling my finances. They have a tendency not to do it right. <laughs> okay, so you, you need to plan. You need to invest in yourself. The next thing you need to do is you need to ask for help. See, a lot of people don't know this. They don't have a plan. They don't have a budget, but they refuse to humble themselves and say, we need help. Will you show me? There are people that are smart with this in this church. They're, you know, we have a, a class called Financial Peace University, which is phenomenal. We've got Holly back there. Tim, you guys went through it, right? Anybody else go through Financial Peace University? Rich, Pam, look, we have it. You know why we haven't had it in a small group in a while? Because nobody will teach it. Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. How to get out of debt. How to work a plan. It's a process. A lot of people won't do it because it costs $100. Because you've got to pay for a booklet and everything. I'll tell you this. If, if we can get somebody to start Financial Peace University, the church will pay for you to go through it. 
because it's more important to me as a church to put money in people so they can learn how to invest uh, their time and their money and be good spenders of what God gives them because it's going to bring joy. It's going to start. Look, it's going to say I'm almost willing to do it just with my own money because it'll save me time from sitting down and counseling people. So if you need help with a budget, if you need help balancing your checkbook, those are all things not to be embarrassed about. We just don't teach it and we don't ask. So don't keep walking in the darkness. Ask somebody to turn the light on for you. That's all it takes. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. By knowledge. You must seek the knowledge. You've got to go out and get knowledge. Ask for wisdom from people. Let people speak to you and coach you through this. No judgment. Just let's help. Let's help. Okay, last thing you need to do. And I said this last. It's not last. <laughs> you got to put God first in your finances. I saved it for last. If I would have said this first, you ought to have left. Nobody likes that part. Nobody likes to hear, you mean put God first? Yeah, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So what do I mean by seek him first in your finances? Pray about your finances. Seek God about your finances. God, what do you want us to spend money on? God, pray. God, help us. Send somebody to teach me. God, help me understand this better. Give it to God. How many people here would give more money if they had more money? It's a, it's a good answer. There's some people that wouldn't, and I understand. But there's some people that usually say, hey, if I had more money... I would give more money. Well, you know who controls whether you have more money? You. If you choose not to give, it's a choice you're making. If you choose not to bless somebody, it's a choice you're making. And you're the only one that controls that. You're the only one that can help yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. So the only thing stopping you is you. We need to be good stewards of what God gave us. What does it mean to be a steward? A steward means that you manage or look after somebody else's property. That's a definition of steward. So stewardship is how well do I look after somebody else's property? Your finances are God's property. So how well are you looking and caring for God's property, his finances that he put in your account? That's the question. Are you being a good steward or not? So we involve them in all decisions. In fact, it, if you show me your bank account, I'll show you your spirituality. That's a tough one. Show me your bank account, I'll show you your values. Because it's easy to pick out. I could look at your bank account and tell you what you value more than God. Money has everything to do with spirituality. You're like, what? Yep, it sure does. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And people don't think about it that way. So how do you put God first in your finance? You give first. Everybody's like, oh, here it comes. Look, you know you know how often I've taught on finances in the last two years? Never. I don't. This is the first time I'm really going to talk about giving. And I'm not doing it because... The church needs your money. We've been doing very well. I'm not doing it because God needs your money because he doesn't. (laughs) 
I'm doing it because you need to give God your money. Because <laughs> you're the one that's going to get the benefit out of it. You're the one that's going to have peace in it. And once again, Luke 16, 10. says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. There are people that say, you know what, if I just want a million dollars, what? You won't tithe on a thousand dollars. If I gave you a million dollars, you are not giving nothing. You lie. You're a liar. But I would. I'd give it all to the church. No, you wouldn't. We wouldn't even see you. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I told them I'd give to the church. <laughs> we should probably stay home. <laughs> we'll watch online from here on out. Just telling you, it's, if you're not good with it now, you won't be good with it if I just give you money because you haven't developed a discipline in your life. So when you develop the discipline, then it comes out. When you develop a discipline and you, you surrender it to God, the, the giving just happens. You don't even have to say it. It just happens. You, you just, it's just there, and there's joy with it. That's why we say we want a cheerful giver. And I don't want people walking out here going, man, that church is always after my money. Every time I had to give this money. What? Keep it. Keep it. God found the church. God provides for the church. And whether you give or not, it's not going to keep this church open. Now, on the other end, churches do have expenses. But, you know, what I've realized is that when some people leave the church, other people come into church. It's a constant rotation. So I'm never going to try to force you guys to give. Look, there's a, there's a blessing when you give. Okay, We don't give because we were forced to give. I give because when I started trusting God with my finances, I felt a peace in my heart, and he covered us, and he took care of us. If you've been to my house, it is a 1973 house. I have poles holding up a beam in my house. I have leaky water stains where my roof leaks. I'm not bragging. I'm kind of cheap. We don't buy anything unless I have all the cash to fix it. So I'm not going to, a lot of people say, well, oh, car broke down. I'll just take the ties and I'll fix the car because that's what God would want. We have never sacrificed that. So I said, you know what? We're going to keep doing what we do, and we're going to save money. And guess what happened? And I hate it for the insurance company, but a storm came through. <laughs> and the, the $30,000 I was trying to raise to fix my house, well, the wind blew it over. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, and nobody got hurt, but man, they're putting a new roof on my house. <laughs> They're putting a new roof on my barn. All of those things were leaking. They're fixing the beam in my house because a tree went through my house. Look, I was just faithful, and I wasn't worried. My wife had to deal with some poles. Well, it started with one. I put a second one just to make sure. <laughs> Look, she's a treated woman. <laughs> she got the best of me. But, but here's the thing. I realized that when I trust God with it, he takes care of it. It's his timing. We just didn't freak out over it. We're like, hey, baby, I'll fix it when I can. And it's hard because you do get the feedback every once in a while. <laughs> but since we're on the same plan and we have the same goals and we're one in our marriage, guess what? There's no argument over it. There's a jab once in a while. <laughs> but it's not an argument. It's not an argument. 
So see, the goal, the goal is this. The goal is to live to give. Because I have not found anything in my life as joyful as giving. I really haven't. Have you ever walked up to somebody that doesn't have anything and say, hand them $300? It changes their life. There's a joy in giving. There's a joy in knowing that, that when God showed up in our life, that everything and all the chaos that was going on in the world, when he showed up in our life and we gave our hearts to him, the comfort we felt, even though we were going through everything, our world was falling apart relationship-wise, financial-wise. The peace that we got when we said, God, I love you, it's worth everything and more than what we give. Why? Because I want other people to experience it. So when you give to your local church, because the Bible says tithe, when you give your tenth to the local church, guess what they get to do? Keep the doors open. Guess what they get to do? Feed the poor. Help the homeless. Take care of the sick. People's lives get changed because we open the doors. You can't do that without finances. <laughs> well, you can. Might be shooing some people away throughout the week. I guess we can lock it up and just come back on Sunday and hope nobody works on Sunday to come get their money. <laughs> but ultimately, you do have bills to pay. So, so by us giving, that's just part of it. We, we enjoy giving to the church. We're cheerful because we know what it's doing to the lives of other people. And if it can change other people the way it changed us, that's why I give. Because I love God and I love what he's done in my life. So I'm going to give to him so he can hopefully change somebody else. So I'm not trying to guilt you into giving. That's between you and God. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. But if God's tugging on your heart and you keep making excuses, it's time to surrender to him and say, I got to quit making excuses and make a budget. I got to quit making excuses and make a sacrifice. Because people say, well, I don't have any money. Okay, look at your bank account. Do you have a Netflix and a Hulu? and a, um, a what, what are you paying every month that you don't need? I can find money in your account if you need some help. Trust me, we do it all the time. When you have a budget, I have to go in. I go in like quarterly and I go, hmm, oh, look at that. Direct TV raised our prices an extra $10. And I call them and they take $50 off the bill every month. So I have to be a good steward of what I have. And I find money. If you really want to give, you'll find the money to give. That's why you give it first. When you give it first, there's no temptation to steal from it. And, and like I said, God doesn't want it. God wants to teach you how to live like he lived. He gave his one and only son. He gave his son. He's a giver. And he says, trust me, be a giver. It's so much better when you give. Giving is part of sanctification. It's usually the last thing that happens. It's funny how many people will come in and serve in a church and they'll do all that stuff. And the finances is always last. Because they can trust them with everything else, but they just can't trust them with their finances. And if your answer is, and I've heard this before, I don't trust the church managing the finances, then find another church. Find a church you can trust. Or if you want to come talk about finances, come look at it. I'll walk you through everything you need to know. There's nothing hidden. It's all taken care of. We have a good process in place. So it's a joy to give. And he wants us to be, learn to, to give. He wants us not to be greedy. Why? Because what's the root of all evil? The love of money. The reason why you don't give to a church is because you love your money too much. 
you love your money more than you love God. That's it. And I know that's harsh sometimes. You know, we have people in the church that say, well, I don't give, but I serve. Because I don't have money, but I have time. And then we have other people that say, well, well, I don't have time, so I just give. Either way, God wants both your time and your money. <laughs> Either way, you're giving him second best. If you say, I don't have money, but I have time, you're saying, God, my money's way too important, so I'll just give you my time. I'll give you second best. And if you say, I don't have any time, God, but I have tons of money, so here, just take the money. Now what you're telling him is, huh, you get second best because my time is worth more to me. So, so God wants both of it, <laughs> but not so he can just take it and hoard it. He wants you to understand that you, you can't have any idols above, like over him. Do you understand money becomes an idol? Think about it. Money becomes an idol in your life. Exodus 23, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Money is a god. When they talk about it, mammon, mammon is the word. It's a Hebrew word used in the Bible to represent money. Mammon was the god of money. Mammon. So they're referring to the God of money as something that you love more than God. So you're putting another God above him. So yes, some people love money over God. But God wants to become first in your life. I have so much more, but I think we can wrap it up. You guys doing okay? Is everybody good? It's kind of like the young ruler, and I'll just read this one because it's all throughout the Bible. Like I said, there's scripture over in Mark 10, 17 through 23. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have done since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Stop right there. He loved him. You giving to the church doesn't affect your salvation. Jesus loves you. And he will love you. It has nothing to do with your salvation. So I don't ever want you to think that if you just give, then you're saved, because that's a lie. And I don't want you to think that if you don't give, you can't be saved. Because that's a lie. He wants you to give. Because he doesn't want it to become a God in your life. He doesn't want money to become a ruler in your life because it's the root of all evil. And when you learn to give it to him first, you now submit that and say, God, you're number one. So when he told him this, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Treasure. He didn't say you'll get to heaven. He said you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man fell on his face. At this, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it? Because you're in such love with money. That's what he means by rich man. He doesn't mean, you, look, God, look, I, I wish everybody in here was a millionaire. And I wish you could enjoy everything. God wants you to have that. 
but he wants you to do it right. Don't fall in love with money. Don't allow money to be the ruler over your life. That's his biggest concern. Don't allow that to steal it. So what's the tithe? The tithe is the first tenth. I'll just share that in case you didn't know. It's the first tenth. You start with 10% and you give it. And even if you look at Dave Ramsey and how he does finances, he'll even say, look, even if you're paying off debt, you tithe. You do God first. You do God first. Take care of it. Take care of him. An offering, an offering. So you have tithes and offerings. Those are the two kind of gifts. So you have the tithe, which is 10%, and an offering. Offering is above and beyond. Offering is what's left over in your account. Offering is where you plan it out in your budget to say, we're going to give so much money this month above and beyond our tithe. And you get to choose who you give that to. For some people, as we go for the heart for the house, they're going to say, this is what I want to do. I want to give. I want to give to heart for the house because I want to invest in something. That's above and beyond your tithe. And you give. It's an offering. But when you build your budget, that offering, even when you're trying to establish a budget, you don't give an offering. Give your tithe and that's it. (laughs) Get out of debt. Do it right. But an offering comes out of what's left. Here's the thing. When you start reading the scripture, when you get in God's presence and, and the word enters your brain, it goes 18 inches down, it lands in your heart. And when that happens, things shift. When the word gets in your heart, nothing will stop you from giving because it's good. It is good to give. It is good to bless people. It is good to be a blessing. All right. So in other words, God's teaching us to be like him. And it all belongs to him anyway, so you're not really doing anything different. You're just giving it back to him. Here's the good part. You can change now. You don't have to wait. You make a decision. You can walk out of here today and say, you know what? I'm going to establish a budget in my life. I'm going to start changing right now. I'm going to put God first, and I'm going to do it. You don't have to wait. Get home, go talk, sit down with your spouse, and say, how are we going to do it? You will find things in your budget, in your expenses, that you can cut. It's called living within your means. We pay so much stuff that it doesn't even make any any sense. Only because we don't look at it. It just becomes a routine and money just comes out and we don't go back to see what are we really paying for? What are we really doing? And here's the thing. If you get on a budget now, you can change your life, your, your kid's life. You can change things for the future because your kids are watching what you're doing. Your kids are looking at everything you do and they want to be you to be a good example so if you're teaching it the right way man you're setting them up for a future you're setting them up to be able to walk in this peace and this joy so you got to teach them everything you got to teach them how to give you have to teach them how to save you have to you have to teach them how how to use a credit card if you want them to have a credit card but you get to do that if you make the decision so become one in your finances it starts there come together as one have oneness in your finances. If you're not there, get there. If you say, I've been living in this separate income in our family, come talk to us. Let us help you. You need to get there. Develop and follow a budget. Build a budget, follow it. Pay off your debt. So important. Pay off the debt. Invest in your future and save. <laughs> and seek help. Seek help if you need it. Don't be embarrassed by it. We were embarrassed by it, and we had to do it on our own. 
I don't want anybody to go through that. <laughs> There's no sense going down the same path somebody already went down when they can steer you in a different direction. It's not worth it. And most important, God loves a cheerful giver. So develop a habit of cheerful and joyful giving. Amen. Did you guys get something out of this? It's okay today. I tried I tried to end earlier, but I couldn't. I'm passionate about this, so if you hadn't told, couldn't tell, kind of like talking about this stuff. But it's so important. It's so important we talk about it at church. It's so important you understand because God cares that much about you that, that he put scripture in there for a reason to help you and to guide you and to lead you. So we just need to spend time in it. So I want to pray with you today. So I want to pray. Um, maybe there's people here today and you're saying, you know what? We need oneness in our marriage. We need oneness. And I need to be able to come together in our marriage and we need to come together in our finances and say we're going to be one. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're here, you're single, and you're saying, I need to find somebody. So, so my, my goal for you is to, to work on those goals, work on setting yourself up, being one with God, work on getting things situated so that when you meet the person that God wants you to meet, it's not a surprise. And you don't have to come to the table and say, well, this is what you're buying. <laughs> all of me. <laughs> you get it all. I want to pray for communication in your finances. I want to pray that you have the ability to sit down and talk about it. I want to pray that you develop a plan. And some of you, you just, I'm going to pray that you have the courage to seek help because that's so important. So if any of that's you, um, this is for you. Watch it online. Um, Same thing. I hope you got something out of today, but I want to pray for everybody right now. So Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord. You see the hearts in this house. You see their minds, the people watching online, God. Man, we just need you right now, God. Continue to work on our hearts. Work on our marriages, God. Bring us together as one. Father, let us have unity in our marriages, unity in our finances, God. Father, give us the capability to communicate about that, to talk with that, Father God, to sit down at the table and come up with a plan. Father, we want you to be all part of it, God. It needs to be all of you and none of us. God, teach us how to spend. Teach us how to give like you. Father, I ask for those that, that, that are trying to do it as, as an individual. God, bless them with the ability to, to get a hold of their finances, to build a process that, that will bleed over into a relationship, God. Father, I pray for, for the families that have kids, that, that, that they, they, they see the goodness of what's going on. They see the un, and understand budgeting. They see and understand finances, and that they see how, how good it is to give. So, Father, touch them right now, everybody online, everybody in this house. Father, we just surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And this morning, uh, the second people I want to pray for, and this is for online too, you can't be one in a relationship until you're one with God. And some of you have never taken that step. You haven't become one with God. And you've waited this entire time and you're still trying to do it on your own. You don't know if it's the right thing to do. You don't even know how to do it. So for you, what I'm saying is that it's time today. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. It's time to accept Jesus into your life. It's time to allow him to rule you. It's time to surrender to him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 10, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the first step. It's hard to surrender anything to him if you haven't surrendered to him yourself. So if that's you this morning as we sit here, if you're in person and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're online, wherever you're at, 
The Bible says that we do what? We declare it with our mouth and we believe it in our heart. So we're going to pray for that. We're all going to pray a prayer together. So that every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, and you say, you know what? I want to say this for the first time. I want to submit. I want to give it to God. All you got to do is raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see where you're at. I want to know that I can reach you. I can talk to you. If you're online, just in your house, wherever you're at, look, we love you and we want to help you out. So please let us know. If you, if you say this prayer for the first time, let us know so we can get you all the materials. We can help you. We can, we can guide you. We can do what they call disciple you. So just say this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I kept you out of my life for too long. I've kept you out of my finances for too long. I can't do it on my own. Change me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I know you died on the cross and you rose again just for me. Today, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together. I know we got some people online. Look, this is the time, and this is the end of the service, so this is the time of service where we like to give. We like to worship. You know, giving's part of worship. Like I said, giving is cheerful. And we've talked about giving throughout the entire sermon, uh, but here's the thing. You can give. Can I, I think the coolest thing, I'm telling you, if you haven't tried our text to give, coolest thing ever, once you set it up, I'm telling you, this is how it works. Once you set it up, text to give it's a one-time setup you literally have that phone number in your contacts and it says destiny whatever you can label it whatever you want i put mine destiny giving and i just click on it and then once i click on it i can just type if i want to give 100 hours i just type 100 and hit send that's it and it takes it out it already does it it's the fastest way to give okay it's easy to give it's secure to give you can give with our text to give you can give online you can give on the app you can still give and all kinds, you can give in person. Our ushers will be at the door. Um, James has a basket back there. So if you want to give in person, we still take cash and <laughs> check. It's kind of neat. And it seems like it's the, you know, this is our biggest way of giving is online now. It's just the biggest way people give because it's more convenient. But, uh, but we have different ways to give. And when you give, like I said, you're giving just not to a church, but through a church. That's so important you understand that, that God is, is going to use everything you give and he's going to move it in the right direction. And he's going to use it to bless people, to change lives, to change hearts. Okay, that's what it's used for. So I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray about being a cheerful giver. And we're just going to pray over our offering. And then we're going to dismiss. Afterwards, we'll have the prayer partners up here. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Um, so, Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. And we surrender everything to you, God. Have your way in our finances, Lord. Father, as we give today, Father, let it be with a cheerful heart. Father, I ask you to bless the gift. I ask you to bless the giver, God. I thank you for, for cheerful givers. I thank you for people that, that want to give to your mission, to the kingdom, God. I thank you that we have kingdom-minded people who want to give. So, Father, I ask you to touch each and every person in here, Lord. I ask you to touch this offering and use it for your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Our prayer partners will be up here if you need prayer. Have a blessed week. We'll see you again next week. And I'm not talking about finances next week. <laughs>